Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we get to answer your Bible questions. Yes, there is good news, and here are a few verses that might be helpful to you. Here's what you got to know. God loves you anyway. He's with you anyway. So let's kind of unpack this and look at the tenses just a little bit. Oh, that's a good question. Welcome to Line Up Online, brought to you by It Is Written, where we answer your Bible questions. You're in the right place. We're going to be talking about cremation and about the return of Jesus and the law of God. We've got a question about dogs. And I've got Eric Flickinger with me. Thanks for being here, Eric. Yeah, we got some great questions today, John. We have, we have. I've got to pitch a question to you to begin with here. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you, if you have a question for us, email it to us, lineuponline at iiw.org. Lineuponline at iiw.org. We'll do our best to give you a Bible answer to your Bible questions. So here's one. I want to know, Wardell says, about the giants in the earth mentioned in Genesis 6 and verse 4. As I read that question, I hear another question in the background because there's a, a commonly held belief or idea about these giants, which is frankly reprehensible. We'll take on that as well. All right. So let's take a look at it. Here we go. This is Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Okay, let's, 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 uh, let's get to the distasteful part of this. Mm. Commonly held belief, I mean like really commonly held belief, is that the giants were fallen angels, some people believe, who impregnated women. And I guess created a race of of giants. It's hard to imagine why that would be popular. It's certainly not scriptural. No, I've I've got an answer to that. And here's the answer. No, 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 no. No. Have mercy. It's not in the Bible that you've got fallen angels having sex with women and creating a, a, a race of, of giant people. That's, it's simply not scriptural. Now... Got to be careful we don't get too far off on the rough here, but you, you get some pretty weird stuff when it gets to demonic activity. I understand that. That's not this. This is not talking about demons who, who created little demons. Uh, I, I don't, I'm done with that. It might be great for Hollywood movies. Not yeah. that I would recommend that you would watch one on that subject, yeah. but would make a great script. Oh, Christian books. Yeah. All oh, kinds Christian of stuff. Books. So, yeah. so how do we know it's not that? Well, a few different ways that we can know that. First of all, according to Jesus, angels don't procreate. In the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse number 30, Jesus says, For in the resurrection, speaking of angels, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So Mm -hmm. uh, angels don't procreate. So we can kind of strike that whole idea of fallen angels and uh, and human women having children uh, just doesn't fit. But what about this uh, sons of God and the daughters of men? Yeah, good question. There's a very simple explanation, thank the Lord. Mm. Go right on. I'm going right. to leave it to you to answer. <laughs> so the sons of God, who are the sons of God? As you look down through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, 
you will find over and over again that the sons of God or children of God are used to describe people who are following Christ, who are following God, who are on the side of good. I'll give you a few examples here. Uh, let's take a look at Luke 3.38. says, speaking of the genealogy of Jesus, that he says that he was the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So clearly Adam was human, but he was called a son of God. So over and over again, what you find uh, here, here we go, another one, 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has, hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we'll be like him, we shall see him as he is. Sons of God, the followers of God, those who are committed to God. That's the simple explanation. It's the Bible explanation. It's the not weird explanation. I think, it's, I think it's good for us to make this point from time to time, and now feels like the right juncture. If you've got two, two ideas, two competing ideas, conflicting ideas, alternate ideas, and one kind of sounds sensible and one kind of sounds wacky, the overwhelming majority of the time, the sensible idea wins out yeah, which with the Bible. Which shouldn't surprise us because God is rather sensible. I mean, by and large... He's a sensible guy. If I can call him a guy, I feel even a little bit weird doing that. Yeah, but, but I think he's okay he's, with it he's sensible. in this context. And so, so steer clear of the stuff that's fantastic, as it were. Stick with sensible, and nine times out of ten, you're on the right path. Yeah. This is re- this a really weird idea. I mean, no offense, I don't think. Um, it's, just a, it's just a weird idea, that whole thing. So keep it simple, keep it straight, keep it sensible, keep it biblical. It's, it's always better. And I'll say another thing. Some people aren't, aren't satisfied with the logical, sensible, plain Jane idea. For some, they're not happy until they've got some new fanciful idea, maybe different to you. Maybe it makes me look like I'm bright. When it comes to the study of the Bible, you don't need to look like you're bright. You just want to be faithful to God. You know, we, we don't study the Bible to impress anybody with our big knowledge. I don't try to say to you, oh, look at what a scholar I am. Uh, someone need not say, look at my list of qualifications and let me demonstrate to you how erudite I am. You just want to be faithful and plainly communicate what the Bible says. All right, I'm going to ask you the second question. The question is from Rosalind, Eric. Why do some people say that the dog is unclean. And she, she adds, not talking about for eating, but as a pet. All right. Well, some dogs are unclean. Maybe they need to be bathed a little more frequently. Some of them give off an odor. But I, I don't think that's probably what she's talking about. Some dogs just stink. Are you a dog guy? You like dogs? I, I like dogs better than I do cats. Do you? Much better. You have a dog? Used to. Had, had, had many of them. Many dogs. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have a cat. Yeah, no dog. We we could have a dog, I suppose, but they take work. Yeah, cats like to climb up my legs with their claws. Yeah, yeah. yeah so fair I, enough. I, I prefer dogs. Thank you very much. Dogs are unclean when it comes to eating. Yes. In Leviticus chapter eleven, it speaks about that which is clean and which is unclean. When it comes to animals, if you're going to eat an animal, it needs to chew the cud and have a split hoof. By the way, I'm going to come back to this. If I forget, say, hey John, you said there was something else about mm-hmm. animals. I'll throw, some, I'll throw a curveball at you, to you, not at you. Uh, if it swims, if it's in the water, needs fins and scales. And if it flies, uh, it's not quite as easy. But the bottom line is you don't want to eat a, a bird that eats carrion. 
a scavenger bird that eats dead stuff. Uh, so that's the animal thing. So dogs, they don't have a, a cloven hoof. They don't chew the cud. They're unclean. But again, she said, that's not the point of the question. So what is it about dog? It's okay to have a dog. Yeah, no problem with having dogs. dogs. As long as you're going to care for it, take good care of it. Yeah. yeah, dogs are fantastic things. So from a biblical point of view, I don't know why some people would say that a dog is unclean other than there are some dirty dogs. But other than that, it's okay to have a dog. It's okay to like dogs. Dogs are wonderful. Come back to that thing. When it comes to animals, right, it ought to have a cloven hoof or to chew the cud. Mm. There's one more thing. New Testament. Mm-hmm. Don't eat the blood. Right. Really interesting. You go to Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council. And you know, there are many Christians who say, oh, we take the book of Acts. Oh, no, you don't. Not unless you don't eat blood. And so that would necessitate hanging up the animal and draining all the blood out of it. Didn't Jesus eat meat? Well, evidently he ate some, but it wasn't like what you bought at the steakhouse the other night. It was drained of blood. It was one a whole lot better than rubber, as a matter of fact. No, the, the two things that make meat taste good are the blood and the fat. Mm-hmm. Get the right blood and the right fat content. That's a, that's a high-priced piece of meat. Everybody knows it, too. Yep. So I just thought I'd add that. The question didn't go there, but that didn't stop us. Uh, Sure, dogs and these other things are unclean biblically in terms of diet, cloven hoof, chew the cud, but read Acts chapter 15, and it will tell you, don't eat blood. That's important, too. My guess is we have another question. We do. We have one here from Ingrid, and Ingrid asks, can a Christian be cremated? Oh, Ingrid, a Christian certainly can be cremated, but I think what you mean is may a Christian be cremated Mm. from a biblical point of view. Yeah, look, there's no problem with cremation. Cremation is just a way of disposing of the body. A person lives, that person dies, and they fall asleep. That's the biblical understanding. I know it's not what everybody believes, but it's the biblical teaching. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. And it goes on to say, uh, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. But the trumpet shall sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Uh, in First Thessalonians, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain, we are caught up, and so forth. So what happens to the body? You bury a body, a body is, it, it molders away in the grave, and decomposition takes place. When Jesus comes back, he doesn't dig up the grave and start scratching around for the old parts of the body and, and put a body back together again. I think some people are concerned that, that God's not going to be able to, to do that. Like if, we, if we're turned to ashes and dust, that somehow God's not going to be able to put the pieces back together again. We've got to remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about God. I mean, he brought something. He brought everything mm-hmm. from nothing. And so to, to believe somehow that God is going to be stymied if we, if we give him dust or ashes... We've already given him more than he started off with. But the good news is he's not even going to use that. It's interesting. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 39, he says, uh, All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial or heavenly bodies and terrestrial or earthly bodies. The glory of the celestial is one. The glory of the terrestrial is another. 
Drop down to verse number 42. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. The good news is that body for the righteous that comes up out of the grave is brand new, not made of the old material. The person who's burned in a house fire, somebody go, dies at sea and is, or buried at sea and is eaten up by sharks and whatever the case might be. I mean, what would we make of that? God created you and then he recreates you, gives you a new body. For some people, it's cultural. Yeah. This is how we do it. What would you say to them? I'd say, you know, if you, if you want to do it that way, great. If you don't want to do it that way, that's fine. But think of it this way. God created us from the dust. When we die, we go back to dust again. What is cremation? It's just accelerating the process, getting yeah. the dust a little bit faster. Speeds it up. Yep. That's all it is. So you don't need to worry about that. A Christian can be cremated and certainly may be cremated. We're not recommending that, nor are we speaking against that, but you decide, you get to decide. What I like to tell people is be nice to your kids because at the end of the day, it's likely them who are going to decide what happens to you. This is line upon line from It Is Written. Thanks for your Bible questions. We'll be back to answer more of them in just a moment. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. Thank you again for sending your questions to us. If you would like to send one, send it to lineuponline at iiw.org. That's how we receive your questions, and that's how we can answer them. Amen. So, John, we got a question here. This right. one comes from David. Yes, sir. And David asks the question, or state, makes the statement, we do not currently enjoy going to our church. We have found It Is Written TV and watch from 11 to 1 each Sunday. Amen. Fantastic. That's all right. Are we sinners because we don't go to church? Are we doing wrong? We get more out of your two hours each Sunday than going to our church. Well, we're certainly encouraged to know and blessed to know that you are blessed by It Is Written TV. That's good. And so, therefore, I hope you'll tell lots of other people to watch so they can be likewise blessed. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse 25 that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. In other words, go to church. That's really good. Now, what you're telling, and we're going to read through the lines just a little bit, is that you're not being blessed or getting something out of church. Now, here's how you ascertain where you ought to be. According to Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, the church is the pillar in the ground of the truth. We would say to people, 
Find a church that teaches the Bible and be at that church. If it's teaching the Bible, well, don't most churches teach the Bible to some degree, but keep studying the Word of God. And when you find new Bible truth, you want to be in a body of believers that is, that is teaching those very important Bible subjects. You want to be in a church where the seven-day Sabbath is being kept. That's a given. Why would you not? That's one of the commandments of God. And if you love God, you'll want to do His will. That kind of narrows down the field right there. There, But now, let's, let's say that you're satisfied that your church is a biblical church mm. and you just kind of don't like it. Yeah. What do you say to that person? Well, one thing that you can do is go to the church to be a blessing. Amen. Uh, there are people who are going to come to church who won't get a blessing if you are not there. You can be an instrument for change. If you realize there are some things that, that maybe aren't to your liking, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, theologically. Theologically, yep. you need to go to a church that's, that's in line with the Bible. But maybe some things, the way things are done, the, the way they pass the offering plate, some of the music that's played or something like that. Be in there and participate so that you can be an instrument of change for good. Yeah, amen. So we would encourage you to be in church, but if you're watching It Is Written TV, we are glad and we hope that you'll be able to find a church that teaches the Bible as clear as you know and plug right in there and be blessed and be a blessing. Eric, a question for Rosa. Rosa asks, when will all eyes see him? Will everybody, righteous and wicked, see him at the same time when he comes? Or is the resurrection two parts? And my guess is Rosa's thinking of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So let's go over to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse number 7 together. Revelation chapter 1 verse number 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. So it says Jesus is coming back with clouds. When you go back over to the book of Acts, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the Bible says that he went up with the clouds. When he comes back, he's coming back the same way. So here we see a picture of Jesus returning. This would be the second coming of Christ. He comes back, and it says that every eye is going to see him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. So when Jesus comes back, every eye is going to see him. That is both the righteous and the wicked. Now, there are some theologies floating around out there that teach that when Jesus comes back this next time, it's going to be this kind of secret thing. And the wicked are not going to get to see him when he comes back the second time. It'll be sort of secretish. In fact, nobody would see him. Nobody would see him. And the, the righteous get kind of vacuumed up, yeah. and, uh, and that takes care of that. But no, the Bible says that every eye sees him, both the righteous and the wicked. And the wicked, when they see him, are going to mourn. Why? Because they're not ready. Because they had the opportunity to be, to be ready for Jesus, and they weren't. For the righteous, they're going to be saying, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. And that's why he's there. So every eye will see him. Now, somebody might say, well, what about the blind? Yeah. Are the blind going to get to see Jesus when he comes? Well, why not? Because when Jesus comes back for the righteous, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says, they're going to be changed. Every imperfection is going to be unimperfected. Yeah, that's very good English. English. There we yeah. go. Uh, so why not the blind able to see him? The deer, the, the deer will be able to hear him. The deer will definitely be able to hear him. That's <laughs> so, for sure. So will the deaf. Yeah. But uh, when Jesus comes back, he's going to fix all those problems. 
And uh, we can expect that every eye will see him. That's at the second coming of Christ. Revelation 1 verse 7, every eye will see him and those who pierced him. Mm. So if you take the Bible as it reads, that can only mean one thing. That's right. And that means that those responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross are going to be resurrected to see him come back. Now, I didn't invent that. I'm just reading what it says in the Bible. Somebody might say, oh, those who pierced him are those whose sins pierced him. Mm. Okay, I, I, I could imagine that. If that's what you think, that's okay. I'm not going to hurt anybody. But it seems like there'll be a resurrection of those who were responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross. Speaking of those individuals, Jesus was talking to them just shortly before his his crucifixion. And he said, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Yeah, that's exactly what uh, he said. He he made a promise to them, and here we see a fulfillment of it. All right. A question here from uh, Ramey. Ramey asks, Jesus came to liberate us from sin and the law. Can we still be governed by the laws God gave the Israelites? If not, then is the Old Testament only of historical value to me? Ooh, good question. Thinking question. And this really comes to the question of what is the law? Now, there are different types of laws in the Bible. There are health laws. There are civil laws. There are moral laws. There are ceremonial laws. And the list probably goes even further than that. But when we talk about the law, usually there are two big divisions of the law. There's the ceremonial law and there's the moral law. The moral law we often refer to as the Ten Commandments. That basically tells us what is right and what is wrong. It's not up to us to decide. We go to God and we ask him, what should I do in this situation? And God says, here, I've spelled it out for you. I've written it with my finger on stone just so that it's pretty straightforward and clear. On the other hand, We have the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law was not written on stone with God's hand. It was written in a book, and it was handwritten by Moses. The ceremonial law talked about what we should do once we commit a sin. Now, the ceremonial law today has been nailed to the cross. Mm -hmm. The ceremonial law is no longer applicable to us. But the moral law, do you think we should get rid of the moral law, John? Get rid of thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. I think there are some people who would advocate for that. But by and large, thinking people would say, no, that's a perfectly good law. We're glad we have it. We must retain it. Yeah, absolutely. So there are some aspects of the Old Testament that are still valid today. In fact, the, the Old Testament is there. The stories in the Old Testament are there for our admonition. It's so that we can learn from them and live a life according to God's will here in New Testament times or beyond New Testament times. So don't, uh, don't throw out the Old Testament and just say, oh, that's kind of interesting. No, there's a lot of meat, if Absolutely. I can use that, in, in the Old Testament that you don't want to miss. It really brings to life everything that you read in the New Testament. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament constantly, yes, he did. especially from the book of Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. which is, incidentally, Deuteronomy means the second law or the second giving of the law. Moses going back and recapping uh, many of the high points of what he had talked about before. So uh, don't, don't get rid of the Old Testament uh, just because you have a misunderstanding or may have a misunderstanding of, of what the law happens to be. I'm, I'm reading Deuteronomy in my, my personal devotional time in the morning. Every time I read through that book, it, it just gets richer, mm. deeper, broader. It's, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, uh, I wanted to ask you this question from Davana. All right. Was the devil cast out of heaven before the creation of the earth? Was the devil cast out of heaven before the creation of the earth? Well, the Bible seems to indicate that yes, he was cast out of heaven before the creation of the earth. Now, 
Not long after that, apparently, God created the earth and populated it. It didn't take him long after the creation for Adam and Eve to come on the scene. In fact, about six days. And so Adam and Eve showed up, and not long after that, the devil came and tempted them. So the indication from what we see in the Bible is that he was cast out before the creation of the earth, but not long after that, however long that may be, God created the earth and uh, brought brought forth Adam and Eve, and then the devil got... Got busy with his handiwork again. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Hey, we've got a question here from Eric. Oh, wonder. I wonder what I wonder. I wonder if you can read your question. So oh, Eric wonders. I must say, I don't think it was you, but someone who was uh, tastefully named. All right. I, I would agree with that. Eric says, I'm trying to get stronger in Christ. Should I leave angry situations? Oh, that's a tough one, Eric. Let me think about that for a moment. The answer is yes. Get out of those angry situations. Angry situations? Hundred percent. You want to look. I was, I was talking with uh, some young people about this very thing last night. How the devil is after you. How do you how do you defend yourself from Satan? One way, and a young lady said this to me. One way is just not to put yourself in situations where you're going to be tempted. Look, you might say, "I'm a Christian. I should be able to handle this." Uh, maybe, maybe, or maybe the way you handle it is just to get out of it. If someone's pressing your buttons and you feel the temperature rising and the hair standing up on the back of your neck and so forth, best thing you can do is extricate yourself from that. The wise man wrote in Proverbs 15 and verse 1 that a soft answer turns away wrath. So you can learn how to diffuse situations. You can't always run from everything. We cannot give you an absolute blanket answer. But you might say, you know what, for the most part, I just need to get out of those situations that are going to cause me to stumble cause me to fall, cause me to lose my experience. It's a very mature thing to be asking, frankly. You don't want to be angry. You don't want to be hostile. You don't want to be offensive. If mitigating against that means getting out of a situation, absolutely right. You got anything to add? Yeah, there's a few verses that Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy was a young preacher, and so Paul was giving him advice, uh, counsel, if you will. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, He says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power and from such people turn away. So there's some good counsel from Pastor Paul to you and to me. He says, if you're going to if you're going to run into people like this who have these characteristics who are going to make you angry, turn away from them. Spend time with other people. Now, you can minister to people like that. They need ministering, but don't get yourself sucked down the hole that they happen to be in in the process. It's a really good principle, I think, to look at your whole Christian experience. Mm. If I'm in this situation, what does it do to me? If I'm around these kind of people, how do they affect me? I lost my Christian experience there for a while. Didn't live like I I know I should have. What was it? Oh, I see some of the factors. Now I can prevent myself from going into those situations. It's very wise. You need to know what to do ahead of time so that if you're tempted, if you're pushed, if you're prodded, if you're pressed or poked, you can take evasive action or corrective action The question's great because you're saying, how do I hang on to my experience? And we want to encourage you in that. Hey, thanks, Eric. Good stuff. Good stuff today. Appreciate it very much. And we'll be back again next time with Eric Flickinger. I am John Bradshaw. Thank you for your questions. 
We will answer more next time on Line Upon Line from It Is Written.